Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. We are back. I'm Paul Colgan, and I'm here as always with David Scott. Pleasure to be back in 2018. And our guest this week is James Whelan from Sydney-based wealth management company VFS Group. Uh, James, great to have you back on the show. Sensational to be here. Thanks, Paul. Look, it's been a few months since our last show, and I need to say a quick thank you to everyone who has dropped me a line on email, text, WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter and even one person on Instagram to say we should bring the show back. So we're back. Um, I got this note from Tom, uh, which was a very funny and endearing note. Um, you can tell this person is well qualified from their email signature, but decided to write the note without punctuation, perhaps the, to uh, underline the point that he really, really wanted to see, hear from us again. Uh, he said, Paul, I really miss your podcast. What happened to it? I need you to give me a link to your podcast for 2018. It disappeared Christmas. I want it back. Bring it back. If you oh, if you can, I would really appreciate it. Or perhaps it is on another link that I don't know about. Help me. <laughs> it's written all in caps as well. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> what well, wasn't a spamming that wasn't? <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. In the old days, those kind of letters used to have writing in the margins and uh, between the lines and etc. Okay, look, we're going to talk about everything. There's a lot to catch up on, and Dave needs to catch a flight soon. So we are going to talk banks, stocks, bonds, currencies, property, and the budget. Um, there's a lot to cover, and lots has happened. A lot has happened, but uh, let's start with the banks and Australian financial services in general. James, what is the mood out there? Uh, internally at the banks, and, and obviously not quoting any specific or individuals, it's a, the, the mood is is quite negative um, in the banks, and, and we're seeing with some of the people that we're interacting with from the banks side, definitely not naming any banks today on things, but the uh, that, that 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 it is difficult for them to go out and sell products when there's continual press that is that is in this negative sentiment and and the continual kicking that they're getting. Um, I know that there is one significant. Uh, uh, group, not, it's actually not one of the big four that is losing clients in twos and threes per day. There's this serious decline that is going on. So in one side. manager is getting clients calling, saying, saying that I need, to, I need to leave, and it's a two, a two to three a day for one. It's just for one so plan. Over the course of a week, they're losing, yeah, you know, fifteen clients. Yeah. You, you, you're basically losing. You're losing your income. You're losing your home. You're losing your. You know, it's 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 uh, it's 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 the the mood is down, but it's going to start reflecting too. Just talking because you know I'm a sentiment guy on this thing, but it's it's also going to start going through to people to just realise that they're not going to get their bonuses. Not that I mean, this is a thing, but people depended on that, especially if they hit their targets. You, you know, and you and you've been promised a remuneration on behalf of that. Then, if your targets aren't even possible to be hit, you're not going to get that bonus, and then that down ramping of sentiment is going to start to be seen it'll be seen in tax receipts in over the bars and restaurants and things like that the, uh, you know it's a it's a thing oh, we can we, you, you, we can we can say oh you know well the the, the fat cats were spending too much anyway but you know the, this is a lot of people's jobs and a lot of uh, a lot of trickle down um, into that economy is going to be is going to be taken away it's friday when we are recording and amp this morning has sent a submission into the royal commission where they quote-unquote strenuously deny <laughs> criminality in cases where they realized they were charging people for services that were where no work was done whatsoever and they were charging people uh, in some cases where the people were dead. Uh, there used to be a pretty interesting dynamic in terms of the financial services sector where people would be angry at the banks but they would be okay with their bank. And I think to your point about planners getting called up where customers are saying, 
I'm out of here. You're not taking my money anymore because you don't deserve it. That, to me, signals that that dynamic is changing, that people are actually angry at specific institutions now rather than the broader thing, which was arguably more manageable. Yeah. It's, that it's 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 that it's that it's that oh you know the, the the red bank they're the evil guys and my yellow bank is great and now it's it, it's potentially that sort of no it's not it's start to pull it I mean f- from this from this particular place that's losing clients it's it's two reasons it's going to be one it's potential that more is going to come out and that you've the, you've actually done bad things and I'd rather take myself out of that risk and the other one is potentially that your company as it is is not going to exist as it is anymore and I'd rather remove myself now as opposed to being forced to later. Yeah, think about that too. It is, um, I think, super uh, troubling for the whole sector and um, very, very worrying. Um, and I think the the other thing about this is there is absolutely zero appetite in the community uh, for anything but the book getting thrown at the banks uh, in terms of penalties, um, more consequences, more accountability. Um, the banks have tried to be on the front foot with this, but I think there's a you know. We're only getting started with this, then there's probably more to come. And, you know, just horrendous thing this week that we saw with um, CBA having lost the um, transaction data for almost 20 million retail bank accounts. Yeah. Um, they didn't need that. Not the day after the APRA, uh, the APRA findings. Well, it, I just found it fascinating. Right? So they told the Privacy Commissioner and they told APRA. Who was going to tell the client? That's right. Yeah. How, so... How do, how do you get to a point where you kind of go, well, maybe we should, let's not say anything. Yeah. Um, and to me, that speaks to not just the bank, but the issues that the APRA review, um, which Wayne Byers, that the APRA chairman commissioned, um, the APRA review called out these issues within CBA. And I will give them a bit of credit. CBA has come out with their hands up and said, look, a huge amount needs to change. We've got massive cult- cultural issues. Um, the CEO is saying, right, I'm foregoing all of my um, bonuses this year. Um, he went to the board in February, said, I'm out. You can't, we're not in a situation where I can be seen to be getting rewarded for anything that has happened at the moment. Um, I think that's, um, yeah. At least it's something. The the uh, sort of going on the on the good side with the CBA side as, uh, story as well. I'm a I'm a I'm a very very big fan of Matt Common, the new CEO of CBA. He is and haven't worked directly with him, uh, but uh, I have worked with people who have, and the feedback is always the same. If there's something wrong, he doesn't go through. The, he doesn't play the blame game. Nobody does that anymore in a, in a corporate sense. He does a it's done, own it, move on. And, and, it's, and it's very much a don't try and muck around, don't try and um, obfuscate, um, procrastinate. It's, it's don't hesitate and own it. We did wrong. Fix it. Move on. And, and so I think that that's, if, if there's a shining light for CBA, I was a very, very um, um, uh, not bullish on the stock, but just bullish on the, on the, on the change in potentially if there's a change in culture and, uh, that needs to be done, it's going to be under his watch. One of the things that's come up in all of this has been the whole issue of um, percentage-based fees. Um, I think it's a super interesting question um, because percentage-based based fees hugely incentivize financial institutions to grow the amount of wealth that they're managing. 
right? Um, so as to take a completely separate example, if in real estate, if you were selling your house, um, if the agent has a flat fee, they have no incentive to go out and try and build a stronger market and get you more money for your house. Yes. Right? Um, but at the same time, what's become very clear from the proceedings of the Royal Commission has been that commission-based or percentage-based fees um, are in some ways a way for financial institutions to print money um, as you increase the value of the amount held and uh, you make sure that you're doing good things by your clients. Mm. Um, you can over time exponentially increase the amount of money without doing much extra work. You can continue to increase, uh, well, without incurring much extra costs, you can continue to increase the amount of revenue that you're writing uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. David, um, what do you think about all of this? My problem per se is not with the fees, it's with the structure of short-term incentives. And uh, having worked in the financial services in the past, uh, I'm well aware that uh, there's a lot of uh, metrics that are put on uh, your financial performance. In fact, in a lot of places, you know, your very being there and your, your report card is based off what you earn for the uh, said organization. Um, and unfortunately, that means that you some incentivize a culture where some people, and I'm talking about a very, very small amount, might go and, go and cut corners or do things that they probably shouldn't do. And unless they're adequately dealt with, that is seen by other staff members. And if that person's getting away with it and that person is getting rewarded handsomely for what they're doing, the behavioral side of things is that they think, hang on, maybe we should go and do that ourselves. And you can see how this can spiral itself. And we're seeing some of the evidence now that's coming out in the Royal Commission that this very practice has happened. Uh, that, that, some, that one individual person has gone and done something that all of a sudden is, it becomes like the norm, not the exception. Uh, and that to me is, is a massive issue that needs to be resolved is the short-term incentivization of having purely financial goals. Because until you change that, I think it's gonna be very difficult to go and change human behavior. I welcome a lot of that because I think um, I, I wrote back in February um, a, a little bit about this whole thing of this question of sus sustainability, right, which is a terrible word because it sounds like we all want to hug trees and save dolphins and eat line-caught tuna, um, right? Now, but sustainability really uh, uh, certainly in the, um, at, at boardroom level in the, in the world's biggest companies um, and amongst the world's biggest fund holders, they're looking for companies that have a sustainable business model, which is based on the company having strong values. Yep. Um, so Larry Fink, his letter to um, companies all around the world, they're a $6 trillion uh, asset manager at BlackRock is, and more than $6 trillion. And he wrote a letter to um, companies all over the world last year saying that companies need to be doing a social good or they need to be, there needs to be a purpose, right? And I think as uncomfortable as it is and as dismissed as this will be in certain corners of the Australian business community and in the financial services sector, um, where there will be an attitude that, look, oh, as long as we're making money, we're okay, because everything else flows from that. Mm. Um, but actually, making money, profit, is not mutually exclusive from a company doing 
things well and providing some kind of service to the community and understanding what its responsibilities are. If I said it used to be, would I be wrong? The, I, I, is is it potential? The, the potential theory is that is that it used to be that they that they were binary a lot of the time that, that that you actually could not do good and make money at the same time. And now, possibly because of the advances in technology, I'm thinking mining companies. I'm thinking, I'm thinking most companies that that, that they could do. I'm thinking Jeff Bezos standing on top of a wind generator opening up a bottle of champagne because of the of the wind farm that he just put in. Little things like that. Yeah. The it's, notion that you have to just destroy something to create profit. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're going to tear up the coral reef because we're, we're, we're going to get this oil out and aren't we amazing and shareholders will love us. You can't do that anymore and you don't have to do that anymore. You used to have to do that. That's just that's just my way of looking at it. We're going to be following this uh, very closely on the podcast and yes, we are going to be back on a regular basis from here on in and we'll um, I can tell you now we're going to have a blockbuster edition next week after the budget. Um, but uh, look, um, we will absolutely be coming back to this uh, because there is a long way to go. You're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. Okay, uh, financial markets last few months. David, there's been a few things going on. A few things is probably putting it lightly. You're correct. Um, yeah, start of the year, it was uh, no FOMO zone, and uh, and everyone was uh, was buying anything that was uh, no, even slightly resembling risk, uh, like it was uh, going out of fashion and. All of a sudden, we got that uh, that sort of uh, outlier wage print in the US. Then all of a sudden, all the chatter came about uh, about uh, inflationary pressures in the US and uh, know what that will mean for for Fed policy. And obviously, since then, markets have been incredibly rocky. We've been proven that uh, the the wage pressures I know tend to be. Uh, temporary for that month, but they seem to have rebounded again. We're getting a lot of inflation readings that are coming through saying it's a little bit hotter than what people were expecting. Uh, that's likely to go and continue in the period ahead. This is in the US? In the US. Yeah. And uh, obviously that's where like a lot of this is concentrated on. And what happens in the US, unfortunately, is probably going to go and happen in the rest of the world as well. Whether it's to the same degree is another question. But uh, obviously, uh, we've also had that accompanied by no bonds have sold off. We, have, we saw tens go above 3%. Uh, in the US, uh, that caught a lot of attention, coincided with more weakness in stocks. So this is going to be part of the theme of, uh, of 2018. It's not going to go away. In fact, I think it will get even more intense. James. Yes, everything that David said was exactly uh, accurate. And as always, I would, I would never possibly disagree with him on these things. It, it seems like the, the idea of, um, yes, there is more volatility, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm actually a foot in each camp and, and for... for, for for once, if I may, you can see you can see that I'm very hesitant to, to, to make a call on these things. James Whelan, you are not sitting on the fence. It's it's going to go up or it's going to go down. <laughs> so how does that sound? Markets will be mixed. Now you can sort of see if you look at okay, just to put it like I'm not a, I'm not a technical analyst by trade, but if you actually look at what the what the chart of the S and P 500 is telling you, it's moving its way into what you'd call a like a pennant formation where. You're sort of inside. It's 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 ranging inside, but it's getting into a tighter and tighter little point yep. of the pennant. When yep. that happens, so lower highs every time it comes back. Well, and falls off. Yeah, the so highs are a little bit lower. Th there were lowers, but also, I mean, it, when it does go to the high, it comes back in, and so each of those ranges is moving into a into a pennant. Uh, it's difficult to do radio and also describe things with my hands. Just, imagine, just get, imagine a get, triangle. Get a, get a photo of this, okay, and then we'll put it on, we'll put it, attach it to, <laughs> yeah, the, sure. attach it to the bottom. Imagine I'm sort of doing a, like, a, like a triangle 
a sideways triangle. Okay, good. Okay, that's a very pointing good to the right triangle. of the chart. Yeah. Okay. As usual, <laughs> as um, look, the only prediction that I can actually give you is that is that the the stocks will move from the left of the chart to the right of the chart um, on these things. Look, I don't know what the the, the big the big QE unwind is is a thing, and I said it's going to be a thing, and it is actually a thing. It's it's we're in uncharted territory on that side. We don't know what's going to happen uh, with regards to that. With regards to inflation pressure and wage growth, um, the, the very intelligent Jonathan Payne, who uh, you and I are, are, are huge fans of, and yeah, I've been the Payne report. For, if you ever uh, uh, get a chance to look at it, it's good. Um, quoting a cheat, uh, tweet of his from a day ago, um, just with regards to the labour markets getting tighter in Europe and Japan um, as compared to the US. Um, and you can see it's 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 a really strong sort of upwards spike that, that 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 goes in with regards to that wage inflation. Wage inflation is like a coiled spring. Brace yourself for an inflation shock. And yes, I know I keep repeating myself, but I just can't help it. I will stop when U.S. wages hit four percent year on year. So we've finally started to see that there wow. is actually wage that, that that there's wage inflation. It's actually started to come through, which is great. Inflation is is in that. I mean, Dave's going to be the numbers guy on these sorts of things, but it's just below where the Fed sort of say they think they might maybe want it to be. Uh, but then what we get what we get predicted is this next big slingshot up, and and that's what you've got to prepare for. And what the, what the ramifications of that are? Well, that's why I read David Scott in Business Insider every day. De- uh, Deutsche Bank had uh, there's a, a their chief economist Torsten Slock who is a, a brilliant strategist um, and a great chartist, had a, uh, a deck um, with, that he put together with some of the team at Deutsche. Um, and the title of it was that the US labor market is um, starting to overheat. Um, and it's just 20 slides of all sorts of indicators that show you again and again and again that there are uh, not enough people to fill all the jobs that are creating out there, um, particularly the fiscal stimulus that's starting that the Trump administration uh, administration starting to roll out uh, is starting to starting to bite. Uh, I mean, forget you know, just remember we're we're only coming up on two years of the Trump administration, and that's the point where um, if you're unleashing money, um, that it's starting the rubber's starting to hit the road. Um, so that's starting to bite. Um, uh, one tiny little statistic there, which I thought was fascinating. In the first quarter of this year, the U.S. government borrowed over 450 billion U.S. dollars, uh, which is well larger than the entire federal budget for a year for Australia, which is about something like 470, 480 billion Australian dollars. So. Uh, it is they are they have borrowed a huge amount of money um, uh, and, uh, and will continue to do so yeah and they will over over the next um uh, over the next uh, over the coming years so uh, midterm elections coming up in november that's going to be certainly be going to be uh, uh, very interesting um but um so that's all that's all happening and one of the big themes though david over the last year has been quote unquote this synchronized global upswing mm-hmm Right now, we've seen some stuff this week that maybe that there are signs that that is not continuing as everybody thought it would continue to do through throughout the rest of this year. 
Yes, some of the uh, the PMI reports for people who follow my work closely and uh, and financial markets in general, PMIs uh, have rolled over slightly. They're still uh, most uh, most advanced and, and even uh, developing economies have still got uh, expansionary territory. But there's been a noticeable weakening uh, that we've seen since uh, since February. Uh, it started off with a bit of murmur about potentially it was due to uh, you know, Lunar New Year celebrations in China and the impact. You know, obviously, China's becoming this all-encompassing economic beast. So when it goes on holidays for a week, it tends to have a, a flow-through effect to the rest of the economy. But uh, we've seen in March and, uh, and April, it's stabilized a little bit in most places in April. But uh, it's definitely – the world economy doesn't seem to be growing as strong as it, uh, as it was earlier this year and late last year. And then you throw in other things. We, uh, I wrote a piece about uh, air freight cargo uh, volumes, and they've started to roll over as well. That's a real-time hard economic data that's showing you that something doesn't seem like it's quite as strong as what it was in the past. So one to go and keep an eye on, particularly is this, in this uh, no, QT year in the US. You know, we're coming to an end of QE in, in the Eurozone. Uh, so you throw those things together, it seems like late cycle – What's it going to go and mean for the global economy? What's it going to mean for, for financial markets? No one really knows, but uh, it's something that definitely wasn't there earlier this year. I've got another late cycle indicator, if I may jump in on these things. It's the, uh, the M&A activity that's coming in in the last couple of weeks. There was $100 million of deals announced in 24-hour window at the beginning of the week. Um, up to the end of April, there's one point, this is US dollars, $1.7 trillion worth of M&A, M&A deals announced. The last time it was that high, which is actually higher than 2007, was the last time the first four months had that sort of number. And That's we a big all number. know what happened after that. Yeah, I know. I always love these since 2007. You know, and, okay, so, so pull it together. But the, when, when deals, and also because these deals are, it's, it's, um, there's not as much cash being offered for these deals. It's all being done in script, or, or most of the, a chunk of it's being done in script, which is a big tell that they're using their inflated asset prices to buy companies as opposed to using cold hard cash. That's a, that's a late cycle indicator if ever there was one. So with all of this, currencies have been on the move, right? Um, I, uh, James, you're going to be able to talk about the US dollar, um, which um, uh, I understand you've been long. Um, that is correct, yes. <laughs> Hopefully not since the beginning of last year. <laughs> um, but the really interesting thing to Dave is um, as part of that, right? so there's, we talk about the Aussie sometimes being a proxy for risk appetite and broadly how the global economy is going and it's been weakening. It has, and a lot of that is I mean, what we just discussed with the, uh, the PMIs and the, uh, the trade data and, and whatnot. It's... Uh, the US dollar tends to outperform when the global economy is not as strong. And when the global economy is strengthening, it tends to go and, uh, and send the Aussie higher so, uh, and the US dollar lower. So that, I think, is part of it. I think you also look at things like positioning. Uh, there was a lot of uh, stretched one-way short positioning in the US dollar, particularly among speculators. Uh, and it got to the point where it had fallen, I think, something like 13% since the beginning of 2017. Uh, and then you start again this this rollover of the data, particularly in Europe, and then all of a sudden the whole Euro boom 2016-2017 mantra was thrown out the window. The Euro's fallen, the US dollar strengthened. And James, in your macro fund, uh, you got long the US dollar when? Ooh, a couple of weeks ago, officially, um, trickling into it just at to the beginning of April and then made a real committed, okay, this is, this is us out on the line, um, going loud and proud about a couple of weeks ago. What was it based on? 
Uh, just it, it was it was based on very similar to that, just versus the euro and the fact that that eventually there just has to be a switch and and a change in the guard with regards to who's taking the lead on on the on that currency cross. And because so much of the US is against the euro, um, that's the side uh, you, you're going to have FX experts who are going to be able to talk to this a lot more. But then the other theory was it because there were uh, was it the, the 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 most number the highest number of shorts in a very long time in the US dollar. Um, because it was the trade of the first quarter, being short the US dollar, um, just Trump doing Trump things and, and talking it down as he as, as he does and nobody else is allowed to do it except him. Um, it seems that he's, his attention isn't quite on the US dollar at the moment either. But once this rally in US dollar has started, um, the short unwind is what's giving it this next leg and is what's going to continue to give it the next leg. So exactly, that's I, my my personal view is the US dollar is this bad positioning. A lot of it, a lot of people have pointed to the, the spike in yields and whatnot, and that's no obviously your differentials have played a role in the past, but you know the markets are overlooking yields. I know late last year when when US yields were, were rising quite strongly, then. I think it was more of an excuse trying to go and like pin the tail on the donkey. Oh, this is the reason why it's happening now. Whereas like, I think that people are becoming so pessimistic about the US dollar. And look, you know, it still could go quite a bit lower. There's a lot of people talking to the, uh, the, the twin deficits there. That, I was uh, about to mention the twin yeah, deficits that, that, uh, That's what's so, taking it down. Yeah, so there's a lot of you know, longer term, there's still probably you know, a bit more downside to come. But uh, yeah, just recently, I got the impression that you know, everyone turns so pessimistic on the US dollar. It's like you know, every day you come in, you know, Asia will just start laying into it, you no know, buying everything else under the sun, and then you no, know, you can only do that for so long before your risk manager will tell you your position in these in short US yeah. dollars is too long, or too short, and uh, and you'll uh, you have to go and cut it. And I think that's what we've seen recently. And it's it's and when you have unwind, you've got to unwind it quick um, or take the chances that you do, which is why you're going to have days where bond yields are. Trying to think about which way it all it all goes around now, but 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 in the in the way that you think that it's supposed to go, what is it? Bond yields, uh, uh, just for the punters out there, high bond, yields, high US high yields, dollar. high US dollar, right? So so you're going to get these days where the yield comes off, bond prices go up, and the US dollar also rallies too, because that's going to be a lot of traders' chance to get out of a situation. Hmm. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, a very, very good guide to um, the reality of a short squeeze if you're ever uh, looking for one. Um, and the other thing with this, Dave, is uh, the effect of, on the Australian dollar weakening. Mm-hmm. Um, exports are absolutely booming. We just posted a massive trade surplus, hey? We did. Uh, very nice. Uh, surprise. Surprised a lot of people out there and uh, currency traders who obviously bought the Aussie dollar on the back of it. But yeah, uh, exports in seasonally adjusted terms, record high in the month of March. Um, Estimates people are talking about, you know, potentially as much as half a percentage point uh, will add to GDP in the March quarter. So big bickies. Uh, it looks like it'll be a, a bit of an acceleration from what we saw at the end of the December quarter, where it was a 0.4% increase. Um, but yeah, a lot of that story is, I know, we've seen firmer commodity prices, and that's obviously linked back to, uh, to China, US dollar weakness prior as well. Uh, but LNG is a, is a major factor as well. No, LNG... All starting to come online. Yeah, also yeah. moving from, I uh, know, the... the Production, fa- oh, sorry, from the um, the construction to the production phase, and that's now being seen in the uh, in the data, and that's going to continue for the next couple of years. So that'll give a natural kind of boost to uh, to our trade volumes and probably help underpin GDP a little bit, uh, which will get us. Uh towards the budget. I was just going to say, segue to the budget. If you segue into the budget, I can go and get a cup of coffee. He was pointing at me with his budget finger. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm out of this conversation. This is great. You guys have a good time. So uh, next Tuesday, uh, step up Scott Morrison. 
Um, I wrote, uh, it was back in November, and I'm very, very happy about this, where I wrote a column saying that the um, federal budget was looking really, really good because of the just particularly strong commodity prices. Um, so company taxes way ahead. So we're talking billions of dollars. We're talking maybe, we're talking like in terms of Australia's, but $8 billion better performance than expected, something like that. Um, eight or nine billion dollars. Uh, and um, maybe um, some of this is, you know, really due to something that is sustainable demand or demand that we can reliably count on, particularly coming from uh, Chinese demand. Uh, you know, um, GDP growth in China seems to be at hovering around 6.8% and not going anywhere. Um, there's no sign that they have any intent to weaken that. Uh, obviously very supportive for um, Australian exporters, um, commodities being our, our biggest export. So it's going to be tax cut time. Um, a little bit of relief um, for families now. There's all sorts of forecasts. Who knows where this is going to end up. Um, I do think it's been super, super important uh, for um, the overall economy, just for households to get a tiny little bit of relief from somewhere because wages aren't doing it. Headline inflation outpacing uh, uh, wages growth. Um, uh, you know, there has been, there's no sign of rate cuts that, to ease the pressure on household budgets. Um, uh, so you kind of wonder what, what's left. Certainly not going to be extra welfare payments while Scott Morrison is uh, the treasurer. Uh, but... Uh, maybe um, we can get a, a bit of a tax cut. And Dave, uh, it'll probably be uh, welcome for households, eh? Definitely. We saw data out this week, the same living cost index. So uh, basically the cost of living pressures now are rising for all households, especially for, uh, for employee households, so you know, taxpayers. Um, so I think uh, you know, all, all you have to do is really look at what the recent commentary about the RBA has been all about. So if you read any of their statements, uh, I know that released every month, they talk about how business investment is starting to pick up and uh, confidence is incredibly high. And then at the same time, they're going to talk about how the, one of the great uncertainties is the outlook for household consumption with household debt high and growth in incomes low. Uh, if there's going to be any tax relief, my personal opinion is that they should go and scrap the idea of business tax cuts right now and just deliver it to households. If you want them to go and be like the booster drive for the economy and they are the biggest part of the economy, you need to give them relief. More than 55%, almost 60%. But household consumption is around 60% of GDP. So you people out there, you are the driving force of what the economy is. So forget everything else. And if you want to go and uh, feel a little bit better about yourselves and have a little bit more disposable income, you should be craving tax cuts from ScoMo. Uh, it's certainly going to be very interesting because it is going to be in an election budget. Uh, and uh, James, uh, it's going to be maybe there's a chance that people will start listening to Malcolm Turnbull's government again. No, no, I'm sure something will come up and, and it'll all be washed away. I reckon you'll probably get about 10 minutes of sunshine after this. Uh, after this, it could be amazing. And the next day, there'll be some sort of kerfuffle. Um, it, they, they just can't string a week together. It's, it's, it's they're worse than Carlton at the moment. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it is funny that you mentioned. I noticed that you said taxpayers a lot. Every time you said taxpayers, my head told me voters. It's it's an election. It's an election budget. Um, you guys know more about the budget than I'm ever going to even think about thinking about knowing. Um, but you do what gets you over the line next year. Uh, what Stephen Kukulis puts up the odds every day. I think of where the uh, of election where it's currently. Yeah. What do we got now? I think uh, Bill Shorten is buck twelve. Yeah. Oh no, maybe a dollar fifty. Dollar fifty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not uh, winks like. Oh odds. yeah. yeah. Uh, or, 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 the, the old expression from my old political days that we always had was 
um, oppositions don't win elections, governments governments lose, governments lose them, and uh, it looks like they're doing their their, their best to do that. Uh, look, uh, the one thing I would love to see is some kind of plan, right? So can you do something on education? People are ready for something, right? So I love the idea of a space agency. That's really cool, right? But it's tiny. It's, gonna, it's you know, small beer, um, maybe 50, 100 million bucks um, over a few years. But what's the plan with schools? What's the plan with um, hospitals? You know, where does Australia want to go? Um, this whole thing of, like, it feels to me like, We've been set up for this thing of, look, as long as the global economy is improving, we're going to be okay. Well, that's fine. But how does Australia take control of its own destiny? How does Australia take charge of something? How does it grow new industry rather than, um, I do not want to lapse back into a cliche, but things, but, you know, let's dig up some stuff out of the ground and... Um, and flog it Buy to some, some houses too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so. uh, which, um, thank you for the uh, prompt, but uh, property, uh, Dave, uh, prices are rolling over. Uh, it's a little, uh, it's getting interesting, isn't it? Particularly in Sydney. It is. I've got to be very quick. My uh, my flight to Melbourne's about probably allowed now telling me to go and get on board now. Um, oh, look, we've got a combination of where investor credit growth is slowing sharply. Uh, you've just got sentiment in general towards the housing market has turned. Uh, so you've, you've got that uh, automatic sort of expectation that prices were going to keep going up and up and up. People are going to go and try and time. You look at the Banking Royal Commission, lending standards are probably going to get tighter. Uh, a lot of focus on uh, lending to income levels. Uh, so realistically, uh, we've seen prices go up, what, around about double in, uh, in Sydney and Melbourne uh, since the beginning of 2009. Uh, if we do see a 10% pullback in prices, it will leave prices where they were at the beginning of last year. We need, to, we need to go and put things into perspective. How that's going to transpire across to the consumption side of the economy and how people spend and react is the big uncertainty. Um, it, yeah, I think a bit of confidence uh, maybe from the budget will certainly be very helpful. Very quickly, David, in maybe 20 seconds, can you talk about the risk of a credit crunch? <sighs> what would that look like? You've already wasted like five seconds. Come on, man. Yeah, uh, the risk of a credit crunch. Uh, I don't think any policymaker or anyone in general wants to go and see an example where credit gets restricted so much that asset prices slump and turn the economy into a recession. Um, a lot will det be determined by the outcome of the Royal Commission, the recommendations. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of uh, very bad things that will come out of it, but I don't think there's going to be a, a line where they're going to actually go so hard that it risks turning the, uh, what's the economy's uh, golden run over the last 27 years on to a recession. And that's the big risk if they go too hard. Phil Lowe, the central bank governor, uh, made a point this week in a speech in Adelaide of, of calling out that they were watching the impact of the current scrutiny on the financial sector on credit availability. And I think, you know, we talk on this show a little bit, uh, well, very regularly about how central bankers choose their words exceptionally carefully. Uh, and he was um, just putting his hand up and maybe just uh, sending a little signal uh, out there that um, this is something that uh, needs to be uh, watched. If, if something was going to happen in the global economy that was akin to the GFC, during a period where credit growth would be extremely tight, already for Australia, it would be disastrous if they went down that line where they made it so difficult to go and uh, obtain credit that uh, the asset prices would just slump. And that's not exactly what you want. So I'm sure the cool heads will prevail, but no, things need to change in the financial services sector in general, but no, it can't be to the point where it's to the detriment of the, uh, of the, of the, broad, of the broader economy. 
James, are you concerned? David, are you concerned? Yes. Uh, no? Mildly. I wouldn't say that uh, no, I'm getting uh, tinned, uh, tin beans in the Smith & Wesson and ready to go and bunker down for the next decade. But yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's something that has to be watched very carefully because you can think you can go and time it and coerce people to go and behave in a certain way. But you know, it's been proven time and time again that people will react completely the opposite the way you expect. And if that happens, we could go and uh, end up with an adverse situation. Yeah, well, D- David, David is my, you know, the guy in the concert crowd that joke with the joke T-shirt. I am a bomb technician. If you see me running, try and keep up. If he's panicking, I'm panicking on this one. So the, 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 now, I, I think that is interesting with regards to the financial services and little bits of interest rate rises that are going to come out of just increased costs, increased spending inside banks that they have to do and pass that on to punters. Um, that makes which, a bit of a which difference. Which clears because everybody needs a bank and it clears um, more money out of, people's, um, uh, out of people's income. Okay, look, on that very cheery note, uh, David's got to catch a plane. Uh, you've been listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. Uh, the show is produced by Rick Salter. Uh, our guest this week has been James Whelan. Thanks very much, James. Thank you, Paul. Always great to be here. And we've, as always, we've had David Scott. Great to be here. Got to go. See ya. I'm Paul Colgan. You can find us on the web at businessinsider.com.au. We're on iTunes under Devils and Details or your preferred podcasting platform. We're all on Twitter individually, and you can find us on Twitter too at uh, BIOz. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>